Hello and welcome everyone to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is Tyler Brondike, and I'm joined today with Pastor Dave Capozzi. Dave is based out of Brockton, Massachusetts, and serves as the lead pastor. We chat about Dave's upbringings in Long Island, New York, and his his dad uh, working on Wall Street, and then moving to the South Shore and being in a pretty suburban, um, upper-class community, and then moving into Boston, seeing homelessness and serving in that community, and then becoming atheist, as he likes to describe, for several years um, before becoming a pastor. So you all will learn more about this in the podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I am joined today by Pastor Dave Capozzi um, in Brockton, Massachusetts. Um, just super excited to have him on the show today, um, just to be in fellowship, uh, learn more about his background, ask ask you know a lot of different questions, um, and then just, just kind of see where this episode goes. So uh, without further ado, um, Pastor Dave, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, so how I normally kick us off is by opening up in prayer. Great. Um, so I'd be happy to open open us up in prayer and then um, ask you to close at the end. Beautiful. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us yet another day um, this Sunday and just for, for Labor Day as well, a long weekend. Um, we're happy and, and just so thankful to be in your presence and have the opportunity to connect with other others just you know through the spirit and just through you um so many people in brockton um, in the state of massachusetts and ultimately and you know in this in this world and for generations to come that we have the opportunity to to influence and um just i'm looking forward to this conversation with dave um and just just really excited in jesus name we pray amen amen cool so to to, to kind of to get started, set the stage. Um, right now we're in Brockton, Massachusetts. Uh, for people who are tuning in right now, um, and will be listening, um, inner city community in Massachusetts. Um, I I went to school nearby, so this is you know holds dear to my heart. Um, Dave, I just kind of want to learn a bit more about um, your your knowledge of Brockton and, and just coming to Brockton um, over the past year and, and ultimately you know planning a church here Brockton Covenant Church and um, what that looked for you in the, the you know the, the early the early stages. Mm. Um, so for me, I, I resisted the idea of church planting for quite a while, although it was on my radar. Um, Brockton was also on my radar and my family's radar for about five years. We've been considering moving to the city. We've been working with the homeless community. Um, but being that it's a gateway city, which is about 100,000 people, many immigrant families, uh, Haitian descent, Cape Verdean descent, um, I felt like as a white man, it probably wasn't the best move for me to plant a church here. Uh, that this church didn't need yet another white man thinking he was coming here to save the city 
especially one that people see as a problematic city um, because of perceptions about crime and things like that. Um, and so for me, it, it was a, a long period of discernment, talking to pastors that I know in this city, speaking to mentors of color who encouraged me because of my heart, because they know where I've been, what I, what I care about, that it's actually my, my voice, my, my vision uh, that I believe God has given uh, was important here. So in this city that's half white, half not, uh, mostly um, immigrant families, and then African-American folks is about, you know, 40% of the population here. Um, there's an opportunity to bridge divide. Uh, and I, I think that's something that I, that, that Brockton Covenant is striving for. So that's what we've been about for this past year is bringing uh, people from all across totally different ends of the spectrum, culturally, politically, spiritually even, uh, to a table that they can find common ground of some kind uh, that can allow us to move forward in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. So, you know, I was just doing a, a bit more a bit more background, and I know that, um, you know, gathering around the table is one of your main values and yeah. what you love about. Can you walk through kind of what, what you're founded on and what principles um, have been guiding you and you're continuing to focus on as you look to, to, to build this church? Absolutely. Uh, we are founded on a question. So uh, most businesses, as you would know, have a vision statement. We have a vision question, and uh, it comes, I believe, from our Jewish roots uh, as a Jewish faith. It, and it's, what does it mean to be a peacemaker in the world today in the way of Jesus? Uh, and out of that question, we, we come to this belief that uh, we should listen to one another so we can gain understanding, that we should be involved then, we should be moved after listening to one another into action, and then finally um, gathering at the table, which, which is both the Lord's table, um, in which we partake of the body and blood of Christ, the sacrament uh, that, that Christ told us to remember him with, and also just eating together. Uh, I believe that the table carries a significant power that most of us aren't aware of, that I can sit at a table with you or someone from a very different cultural or political or spiritual perspective, and the boundaries of power are gone. If I'm breaking bread with you, if you're a homeless person or if you're a person of color or any kind of ethnicity that I've never been introduced to before, uh, bread and, and drink of some kind have the ability to squash those power dynamics. And so for us, we're always eating. <laughs> we feast often and we always celebrate the Lord's Supper together every time we're together. Um, and we're able to do that Catholics, Protestants, we've got a Buddhist, we've got some people who are not of faith of any kind um, who believe that they can be invited to that table, not because I invite them, but because Jesus does. Um, we all, Every time we take of communion, we are reminded of the people Jesus served communion to, um, served his supper to, which was Judas and Peter and other people who betrayed him. So if he's willing to serve to them, uh, he's willing to serve to us. So we're always reminded of that. Even enemies uh, are welcome to the table. So that is kind of our, our vision. It's our mission. We hope to be a place where uh, all folks can come and hear from one another from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. it, and it, yeah, exactly. As you mentioned, it, it sounds like the, the, the space where we are right now, just the city has those dynamics mm. very, very, very available. And it's not, you're not, yes. 
where all these can come together at you know just a, a click of an instant. So yeah, which is super which is super exciting and just allows for so much so much opportunity. Yeah, and I, I think what's been it hasn't been a challenge in 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 that we've been involved in the city uh, because we've not just shown up and planted. We've mm-hmm. been involved for a long while. People know and trust that it's not just some guy that's coming in and trying to, you know, some white guy trying to propose like, hey, this is a great way to do this thing. Mm-hmm. We've been in relationship with people from a variety of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And that's helped in building this thing. Awesome. Yeah. So speaking on that, that's something that really struck me. Um, you mentioned your involvement in the homeless community the past five, six years. Yeah. And um, in Brockton, too. So you're familiar mm-hmm. with the city and that has... I assume probably helped shaped your uh, the way that you think to, the way that you think now, and then as it sounds, the way that it's impacted the focus of your church and gathering around the table, as you said, breaking bread with people you know who are homeless. Um, so I want to make kind of a, a comparison here. When we look at folks who have been marginalized or who have been kind of isolated into different community, um, how are you able to kind of level with them, listen? And then ultimately, you know, engage them into Jesus' teaching, teachings and just who he was. Because I think we see that with so many, you know, that's kind of a microcosm to mm. people, you know, of different faiths, people of, you know, atheist, agnostic, uh, would love to hear your opinion. That's a great question. Uh, story is powerful. So, um, and especially when someone believes they've been heard then that's one of the most powerful things you can do for a person. Um, The years that I was working on the streets of Quincy and Brockton, I probably didn't ask many people for their names even, Um, but I listened. And eventually they'd give their name. But I didn't feel like I'd earned that right. I felt like what my role to do was after a while, because I thought I was this goody Christian kid who was going to go and like, feed homeless people and you know all this other sort of stuff I went in with that mindset and those people actually saved me uh, I I realized that Jesus wasn't joking around when he said that when you serve a person who is on the margins of some kind or in prison that he's the one that you're doing it to uh, and through those people I learned about Jesus even though I grew up Christian and so basically what I believe is when I listened to them I heard Jesus. I heard God's image screaming through. Uh, and what I had guarded previous to that was this idea that I was carrying truth that they needed. Uh, and so when I gave over the power to them to influence me, that's when I gained their trust. And I believe that is the key in forming a relationship with people across all sorts of barriers that we have in this world. Um, they may seem artificial, but they're real to the people who, who are coming to us. I'm a white man, uh, educated white man with a master's and I'm a pastor. And so that comes with a set of baggage. And if I present as those presuppositions, then walls go up. But if I present in a way that is relatable and I listen rather than preaching, uh, I find that 100% of the time, uh, that's the that's the beginning of a beautiful friendship, and that's the building of community. So what I learned on the streets is that to listen to people, to eat with them, to just be human with them, mm. 
is the the most um, God honoring way that I can use that time and space. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, you know, I overheard that there was there was a part, you know, at least a part of your life when um, you weren't Christian and you weren't, yeah. you know, and then crazy now that you're, you know, you're a pastor, but that you're atheist. Yeah. Um, wanting to kind of just just kind of go back and and hear about how you became atheist and then how you came out of it as yeah. well. I'm sure you know you spoke to that briefly about you know just listening let other letting other people shape you but yeah well that that partly led me to atheism so I I, um, I was in seminary from 2000 shoot, 2007 till about 2010 and then I quit I was in a preaching class 15 minutes into it and I was like oh this is Sorry, I swear sometimes. Is that cool? No, I'll skip it. This is a Bible. This is a Bible group. Um, I said this is junk, uh, and I walked out. And I had two classes to finish my degree, and I just walked out. I couldn't believe anymore, even though I wanted to. Uh, I had been experiencing what seminary taught, which was of all the truths about doctrine and and theology and all this. It was incredibly interesting stuff until I realized it played zero role in the way that people think on the streets and I felt like if God had called me to the streets which I believe God had called many of us to be among the poor more of us than I think are willing to accept um, and and the language we use as people of faith doesn't translate then there's something wrong with our language uh, but for me it was even deeper I started to feel hopeless and and despair and um, and I just couldn't see God anymore. And so that that was 2010, and that lasted until oh I don't know uh, 2014, and that's when I first became a pastor. Um, and not because I had some sense of enlightenment or that I had fully come back to the faith of my youth, but because I had still embraced the way of Jesus which I found to be the most compelling way to live. And when I was invited to become a pastor or to consider becoming a pastor, I knew that I could teach the way of Jesus very well. I knew it well. I knew scripture. I cherished scripture, even though I didn't believe it was divine or anything like that. Um, and just staying the course and not leaving. I went to church all those years. Uh, I, no one knew I was struggling. I didn't try to combat the faith. I desperately wanted to be in a, a, a part of it. I was living in an intentional community, Christian community. Um, I was trying. I was staying focused, but I couldn't believe. So I say atheist because that's what people understand, but I wasn't combative. I wasn't trying to disprove anything. I just stuck to it. And to this day, I have significant doubts that plague me, that do not derail me. Um, I have, yeah, uh, I, I believe that there's much room for doubt as, as to be and to be a Christian. If we read our scriptures, we would know that was true. Uh, that even the scriptures authors have doubts in the text. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, it, it was just sticking to it. It was it was listening to people. It was going to mentors, asking questions. Can I be a person of faith and still struggle with the afterlife? You know things like that. And people walked with me through it. And I'm grateful to have people that walked with me, people who pastored me through this. 
community was huge. If I didn't have that, I, I wouldn't be sitting here as a pastor in front of you today. That's for sure. Yeah. Great. Really, really cool. Um, yeah, staying the course. I, I think a lot of us uh, might not feel like we're... We, we constantly and you know the guys like us talk about feeling you know just feeling it and like mm. feeling like you're really in God's presence and everything is well you know I just feel like I'm on top of the world because I you know have Jesus with me mm. but it doesn't always feel you're not always going to feel like that that energy or the ener- energized and it sounds like for you when you're kind of in this like not not necessarily a slump but just like a just kind of this this steady road that just kept going and you're, you couldn't really seem to, to make sense of it. No. Um, but just sticking the course too, as you said, and I think that's, that's really cool for me. And, Mm. um, and I'm sure a lot of people will, you know, find value in that too. Mm. Great. Um, something else I want to talk about. So I know, I know that you had spent some time in, um, in a suburban or, you know, those type of communities, but then you've ultimately come back to an urban community um, why, besides you maybe just being a city person, um, what do you, what was the purpose of actually planting a church in the city and Mm. what really shaped that decision? Uh, for, for me, I have, I have come to a place where I see Jesus through the lens of, um, of a marginalized person who spoke truth to power and he did that and influenced people in the midst of cities and where people were populated. And it was a diverse community of people, people that were flocking to him. And I learned in a very diverse environment in Roxbury. uh, And I learned from people of color and I've not been able to shake it. (laughs) It's one of those, once you've seen, you can't unsee kind of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so since I've worked in cities and been a part of the life of cities, going to the suburbs where people try to hide uh, their pain, their struggles, where everything is good. I just can't really function well in that environment. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an open book. Uh, maybe it's because I'm Italian and I'm loud too. <laughs> uh, but like I just thrive in a city where people aren't trying to hide stuff. Uh, and that's what I found in homeless communities is there's no pretense. It's just what you see is what you get. And usually that's a way more authentic thing than what you get growing up in a place like I did, like Hanover, which is just white picket fenced. You know, I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but that's the feel you get. Uh, and to try to to pastor or to to influence in a setting like that, you're up against it. And maybe maybe there's serious uh, need for that, but that's not me. I'm not that person. I, I kind of I think I need to be up, uh, sort of rubbing shoulders with people who are different than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. The importance of community for you—you um, you mentioned as kind of coming back and starting the church and just getting really plugged in and involved—that was, you know, immensely uh, important for you. Um, and I'm sure that you, you know, look to practice that now and and and, and help others create community too. Um, I I just kind of even want to go kind of go back and the bare bones of community and what's what's so important about community that really you know improves growth of character Mm. um that's that's a phenomenal question Uh, the community one community and faith are essential partners um this idea that the god and me um and and that's all i need 
um, is, is a modern construct. It's foreign to the writers of scripture. Everything was done in community. Um, and so taking that model and understanding that we need one another, that we're created, we are created in the image of God, not one of us, um, that we, when we're together, most beautifully reflect what God intended for us. Uh, that, that for me says, okay, I should probably invest in this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So what I have found that being in a community where you can be vulnerable, where you can listen and grow and hear other people's perspectives and hear the way people respond to your perspective, um, that's been huge for me. Because in my 20s, I was very abrasive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say things that were just out of control just so I could get a reaction. Uh, and seeing the way people reacted to my like sort of out, like outlandish claims have caught like shaped me, you know, and, and those relationships over time, when people are willing to walk through, uh, walk with you through all your craziness, your highs and lows, my wife, she's a saint for sticking around for 14 years. Um, when people are willing to do that, uh, you grow immensely. I would not be the person I am today at 36 years old had it not been for people who thoroughly invested themselves in me, who treated me the way they wanted to be treated. Uh, and if I, so I try to build the same kind of thing. I believe that's essential. And I believe it needs to be across culture and language barriers because that's what the kingdom of God is like. So that to me is what I'm trying to build and, or be a part of building. Awesome. And I, I know that one part of community too is just being, being a listener and just yeah. kind of being kind of introspective and just hearing what's coming to you rather than you, you know, I think we all get caught in it, just, you know, kind of talking out and just kind of throwing our ideas out there. Um, been there. Absolutely. <laughs> We've all, yeah, definitely been there. Um, but over the past few years, this has been a focus for you. What have a lot of us struggle with listening um, yeah. is there a few things that you would that you would recommend to mm. to help improve your, your listening, especially in a in a spiritual context? Not only maybe listening orally at the, at a table, but also kind of listening to what's above. That's good stuff, man. Um, yeah, you're like right on track with where my head's at these days. I I um when I pray these days, I don't say words. Um, I've learned the the uh, maybe it's a science. I don't know. I've learned the the uh, discipline of listening uh, in meditative prayer. So when I pray, I'm silent. Like I'll start off doing some deep breaths and saying the Jesus prayer, which is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'll just do that maybe four or five times. And then I'll just remain silent for about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, now that's a bit long for some, maybe five minutes to start, but that's a good way to just sit and expect that God is going to say something. Um, we spend all of our time speaking at God when God already has a pretty good idea of what we need or want. And I think we very rarely listen to what God has to say to us. Uh, that is a very difficult thing, but it's a good practice. Um, when we're in a group, if you're prone to talking like I am, see if you can spend some time thinking about if I weren't here, would I would this thing need to be said? <laughs> like, would this night go okay or this thing happen without me? 
and would it would it go well would it be all right uh, when I started thinking that way I started like my ego was pushed down a little bit because we always think we've got something that other people need to hear mm-hmm. uh, and that's me hear me I'm a, I'm a huge extrovert who loves to hear his voice uh, but when I started to realize that that's true I was able to then sit in crowds and listen more than speak so mm-hmm. I'm much more hesitant even in my role to, like tonight we had a cookout and I probably like we had this one guy who was just preaching at people for about 45 minutes and I just kind of sat there and that's been my MO now I prefer to listen and then I can, maybe I can get, add a nugget but, um, but I think the more you practice it in private and in those settings uh, it'll start to grow it took a long time for me still takes a lot of growing in that area great great um it, it sounds like we're kind of on the same page or <laughs> of kind of where, where we've been thinking and what yeah just what, what's been That's going cool. through your mind right now um want to discuss um some of the some of the challenges kind of looking at the other side um something that's really been kind of pulling at your heart and tugging with you and um just your everyday everyday mm-hmm. life uh, apart from being um, a good husband and father, mm-hmm. which are the biggest challenges that any person, any male can face, um, the city that I'm in is still very much a white supremacist city. It is, it's the kind of city where, where it's very diverse, but white people run it. And I have felt like God has called me to speak into that. And so that's put me in some, I've lost friendships. Uh, I've been called names uh, and that's okay. But that's been the biggest challenge in my life is uh, at this stage, I have felt compelled through listening to people of color, friends of color, mentors of color, that that's where my voice is most needed right now. And so speaking out in those ways has been both a blessing and a, and a tremendous struggle uh, of losing people that I grew up with as friends, of being verbally assaulted via email and mm-hmm. you name it. Um, so while it's, but I will say that while it's a struggle, it's one of those things that I've come to understand that when Jesus calls you, he invites you not to uh, comfort, but to the joys of, of uh, sharing in his sufferings. And I'm in, by no means suffering, but I'm, I'm tasting a little bit of what it's like to be shunned. I'll say that. Um, so the struggle nowadays is that a church planter's role is to make things popular and invite tons of people. Um, but I'm not shying away from what God, I believe, is calling me and the community I'm a part of to. And so that's a struggle. It's a struggle to figure out whether we should attract a bunch of people or speak what God has called us to speak. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it probably doesn't seem, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, hear that and they're like, okay, yeah, I understand. But I, that, that feels like it would be really, it, it would tug on me a lot because yeah. you have this responsibility to, to grow a church that the way a church maybe is supposed to grow or just kind of how, it, you know, traditionally it's been. But if you, you have this on your heart and that's and something that really got, that God is speaking to you. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty hum. It's I'm sure you have yes. to be very humble and kind of be that servant to to expect to accept what what he's putting on you. Well, I've been beaten down enough to know that 
pursuing the other, like pursuing the growth model, yeah, isn't worth it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I've, I've been there. I've seen what what security and money can offer. Mm-hmm. I've had it, and it's empty. Um, and I want what God has to offer. And I believe with every fiber of my being, even despite my doubts, that that's worth it. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. We'll talk in five years and find out what, what's okay. going on. Yeah. Cool. Uh, a question that I personally have um, with, with a few other buddies and um, it's still kind of on my heart is, you know, what, what kind of beliefs or what kind of, you know, tenets do you have to have to, to be a Christian? Mm. I think it's something that is so challenging that they're, you know, you'll talk to people who are in high school and college, you know, like, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. And then, you know, maybe they, you're, you kind of hear about what they do or their practice and you're like, Oh, well that's, that looks a lot different than someone else who says that they're a Christian too. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of hear your view, take viewpoint on that. Oh mama. Okay. It's a tough one. Yeah. I, I'll say that I'll say this. I don't care what anybody calls them themselves. I don't pay much attention to that. Um, if you told me that you were a Muslim, that wouldn't much matter to me. Um, I am genuinely the kind of person who cares about how it is that you carry yourself. If you're somebody who treats your neighbor like you'd like to be treated, that to me is the most Christian thing that you can do. That is fulfilling the greatest commandment. Uh, And so to be a Christian is to be someone who follows after the way of Jesus. That's literally what it means, right? Christian, Christ, little Christ, whatever. Um, But I believe that the body of Christ is far wider and more expansive than we have an imagination for. Um, Which is why I'm eternally committed to multi-faith dialogue. Um, I find Christians, people of Christ uh, across all sorts of faiths. and they're not, and, and I find that some Christians are not so Christian, um, and I'm not afraid to say it. And I don't think that it's judgmental. I just think that it's, um, I think that it's a way for us to operate in this world. We call ourselves all sorts of things that we take on just because that's been given to us, um, but that's not always true. And so, what we want, what we're after, is what is true, what's authentic. I want to be authentic, and so. I'm not always a Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, maybe two hours ago, I was just in a groove and I was treating people well. But, you know, what we're after is trying to become sanctified. And so that's a cooperation of the work of the Spirit in us p- patterning patterning our lives after the way of Jesus. So for me, it's about, um, you know, you can, you can spout off a bunch of doctrines and creeds. Um, good for you. I don't know them. I'm not memorized. I have not memorized the creeds. Um, you can say the right prayers, um, and maybe that means that you have an eternal life of bliss once you've died. But Christ means for us to experience the kingdom of God in our midst today. And so for me, that's something I'm striving for. If that includes creeds and prayers, then beautiful. But if not, then it doesn't. You can do it without. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, um, it's good. And I, I just, you know, I, that's just my opinion. And I appreciate it. Exactly. And, and, and this is what the podcast is yeah. for to hear different opinions. Um, great. And, you know, you, yeah, um, 
so the, uh, you had a, a big cookout today too from one to eight you just kind yeah, of buddy going going back to the um so if my brain is fried yeah. and i'm jumbled forgive me a lot of, a lot of food still digesting yes sir yeah um well awesome the the other question I, wa- I wanted to ask is what advice do you have for people who are looking either to start following christ and be more christ-like um or just kind of really start to develop that relationship hmm I think the best place to start is scripture. I think you got to know if you're going to if you're going to ever consider calling yourself a follower of Jesus, you should know what he said and what he did. Um, I read there are times there are about 2 months out of the year where I'll read the sermon on the mount um, every day of the month. And so for me that's a that get, like helps me to digest his teachings, his core teachings, his big sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing that for about 4 years. Uh, but there's a lot more. So I would just say, like, digest what he had to say. And then listen to some people who've been doing it for a while. Um, if you want to know more about Jesus, there are lots of folks who I'm sure are excited to share about him that have been walking a little bit longer than we have. You know. Great. Um, and, and, yeah, the, the final thing I wanted to mention is, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? Um, and then also um, where folks can, can find you if they're interested in... Um, kind of reading a bit more about you and mm. what you all are doing um, at Brockton Covenant Church and, and so on. Sure, man. I, I want to say I'm excited about what you're doing. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's, um, it's compelling. It's exciting to hear about people of faith across the country wanting to learn more about Jesus and about his way and about the kingdom and the fact that you guys are making time to do that. That's exciting to me. So, uh, I mean, man, you could, if you want to find out more about what we're doing, you can go to our website. It's BrocktonCovenantChurch.com. Um, pray for us, please. You know, um, it's, we feel like we want to be in solidarity with anybody that's pursuing Jesus. So, uh, this is, this is a great time for us to now build a relationship with you guys. Now we're connected in a way that, you know that earthly bonds cannot uh, separate. So it's exciting for me. So keep going. Um, uh, I'm excited for what you're doing. I'll be praying for you guys. So yeah, whatever you want to know about me, you know, find, you can find me. I'm all over the internet. It's not too hard to find me. <laughs> Great. Um, that's, that's, you know, r- really all I, all I had for today. So I uh, awesome. just wanted to wrap up in prayer. If you would, wouldn't mind closing us. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. Really. <clears throat> Gracious, uh, gracious God, we are humble before you. We come before you as your creation, seeking to do and uh, to do your will and to know you more. Uh, thank you for this time together. Thank you for um, your willingness to walk with us, even when we are unfaithful to you. Uh, thank you for being always faithful. I pray that you will bless Tyler and the guys that are listening to this, anybody who's listening to this, that um, you will compel them uh, to go further and further into a walk with you. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Thanks so much. I really appreciate, I appreciate having you on the show, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. Thank you.
Thank you all for sticking through another episode of the Guys Like Us podcast. This one was with Pastor Dave Capozzi in Brockton, Massachusetts, and he is the pastor of Brockton Covenant Church. If you have any questions for me or for Pastor Dave, feel free to reach out uh, to either of us and we'd be happy to chat with you. Um, it can be questions, it can be comments, it can be maybe something that you didn't enjoy in the podcast. We're, we're here for any and all feedback. So please reach out and um, we look forward to hearing from you. Talk soon.